0: Well, tonight we'll be meditating on a verse out of Malachi, so if you want to follow along, feel free to go ahead and open your Bibles to chapter 1, and we'll be thinking together from verse 12. And as you're doing that, let me give you a very brief backdrop for context to explain where we find ourselves in the biblical storyline. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament revelation from God, and it's written to Israel a couple of generations after the return from the Babylonian exile and the rebuilding of the temple. And in the shadow of all the hopes and expectations that the rebuilding of the temple signified, the people find themselves in a rather opposite situation. Instead of an abundant livelihood, the land is going through a period of low yield, and instead of spiritual vitality, the priests are allowing and abiding by unlawful worship practices. And it is into this state of affairs that God speaks to his people through Malachi and says in verse 12, But you profane it, referring here to the Lord's name. You profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is, its food, may be despised. Now, in today's age, we are so familiar with talking about worship as a heart thing. And of course, this is true. However, I wonder if we're particularly fond of this sentiment, more so because it puts up an impossible barrier, or so we think, to protect ourselves from outside inspection. Whenever we feel threatened that someone is looking a little too close to our lives and assessing our spiritual condition, we might respond with something like, well, all that religion stuff is so rote and hollow, I prefer a more authentic way that worships in spirit and truth. But who is the spirit-filled person? Is it not the one who has heard the truth and hope of the gospel and received it by faith and in so doing received the Spirit of God? Is Is it not the one that walks in the Spirit, who exhibits the fruit of the Spirit? And here we are now undone because the Spirit manifests itself in observable fruit. The true nature of our heart cannot be hidden. So yes, sincere worship originates in the heart but that unavoidably clarifies itself in the manner of our external worship. Now, I've elaborated on all that because from our verse this evening, we'll be looking at three consequences of irreverent hearts on our worship practices. Three consequences which I hope will act as a warning to us and provide some thought for self-inquiry. I will present these consequences in reverse order of how they appear in our text so as to illustrate how they accumulate to their final outcome. The three consequences of irreverent hearts are, first, despising worship, second, polluting the church, and third, profaning God's name. So let's first think of this first consequence, despising worship. In our text, God accuses the priests saying that they have allowed the people to present offerings that are not according to the law. There are two ways here that these offerings betray the state of the heart of the offerer. The first is that they were worthless offerings. The offerings were not sacrificial. Instead of being the first fruits of the flock or the field, they turn out to be the last fruits, the leftovers. In verse 8, we read that the animals offered were blind, sick, and lame. In that time, these animals really have no monetary prospects whatsoever. For the owner, they are... They're quite worthless. And so if you can go ahead and offer them in the temple, and depending on the offering time, offering type, maybe enjoy the sacrifice as a meal with the family there too, well, then you're getting two birds with one stone. and That's about as much return on investment a worldly mind can expect from such a creature. And if you think we might be misrepresenting the intent of the people, hear how God accuses them in verse 14, when he says, "'Cursed be the cheat,' Who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. So not only were the offerings themselves worthless, but they were being given disingenuously. Let us not be taken by surprise at the extent to which fallen man can profess allegiance with God's people and yet conduct themselves in such a scornful manner. Church, let us make every effort that we are not reflecting this behavior in any measure whatsoever. See to it that your devotion, whether it is your time spent reading and praying the Bible, serving others, or giving of your time and talents, see to it that they are given in sincerity. See to it that they are given in a way that says you are entrusting to the Lord something meaningful because you have faith that he will do greater things with them than we can possibly imagine. Another aspect of these offerings is that they were ungrateful offerings, You read in verse 13 that the act of giving sacrifices was a weariness to them. Literally, they say, what weariness this is. Now, this one should strike maybe a little closer to home for us, I imagine. Do you, dear saint, grow weary in serving your neighbor in local church? Do you encounter that shameful thought that crosses your mind, which suggests that it would be a whole lot easier if you didn't have to keep sacrificing your spare moments to do something for others? that it sure would be nice to go out for a Sunday brunch and rest in gaiety instead of gathering together and resting under the word of God. My aim is not to beat down the tired servant here. My counsel, though, is to keep a sharp eye out for any sign of this sentiment rising and taking root in your heart. Repent of it and look to God's encouragement when he says to the Apostle Paul in Galatians, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Now, our second consequence of irreverence is that it pollutes the church. So far, we have been examining matters from the the perspective of the individual and their offering. However, we should remember where this offering was brought under the Old Covenant, which was to the temple, and specifically the altar. Our verse this evening says, the Lord's table is polluted by these offerings that are brought there. This should make us pause and examine our private devotion and the state of our hearts in respect to worship, because what is happening in private is brought to bear in the public space of our corporate worship. The lame offering is witnessed corporately, and unless it is addressed, it risks becoming acceptable, and it will spread like a cancer. We will be known by our fruits. The heart disposition will be exposed, and it will play out in your corporate participation, or perhaps by your lack of participation, It will set the tone for the flock, and it can undermine our corporate witness to a watching world. So let us us note, too, that not only do we pollute the church in our corporate worship, but there is also the risk of doctrinal decay. In Malachi, the Lord is addressing the priests who are allowing these practices of irreverence to take place. In verse 10, he laments that, Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. There is an expectation from God that his priests should know better about what is going on, and that closing the doors to the temple would be better than allowing those offerings to be brought in. There is an insidious effect of pandering to the irreverent heart. It might be hard to pinpoint when exactly our doctrinal purity begins to weaken, but that it eventually happens becomes evident. Unless we keep watch over our lives and doctrine, there will come a time. And we allow or tolerate unbiblical practices. So let us stand side by side and keep watch together. Church, it is not only the responsibility of your elders to do this. Each of us has this burden before God, to grow in knowledge of Christ and holiness together, to build up a healthy church, to sustain a church that rejoices in the teachings of our God, a church whose ministry is faithful to the scriptures and is free from pollution. The final consequence of irreverence is that it ultimately profanes God's name. There are two ways from Malachi that just demonstrates how this occurs. The first is that it fails to remember or recognize God's love. Literally, the first thing our Lord says in the book of Malachi is, I have loved you. Israel's indignant response is, how have you loved us? God patiently proceeds to recount that Jacob he loved and Esau he hated. Two brothers, same in heritage, and yet God set his love on one and not the other for no earthly reason. In fact, it was against earthly reason, since Jacob was secondborn to Esau. Israel is charged through the manner of their worship with forgetting this love of God and profaning his name in doing so. Secondly, they profane the Lord's name because their irreverence fails to declare his, his greatness. When our verse states that Israel has profaned his name, It is in the same breath from verse 11 where the Lord is declaring that his name will be considered great among the nations and that in concert with this the nations will be offering sweet and pure offerings to his name. The implication here is that Israel, God's chosen people, of all people, should be known for a devotion that testifies to God's great works. Does your devotion make this proclamation about God's greatness? Is there a zeal to it that validates its authenticity Do you remember that the Lord has set his love upon you? Do you still marvel at the truth that he did this before the foundation of the world? Do you regularly preach the gospel to yourself and remind yourself of his love for you in sending Christ to represent you in life and death? Do you remind yourself that after God has raised him from the dead, he mediates even now on your behalf? Does your devotion reflect the love you felt the day you were first graced with all these truths? So, dear church, let us strive that our fellowship should not be marked by these consequences of irreverence and laxity. Let us pay special attention to the causal link between what happens in our hearts and the result it has in our corporate witness, either to pollute or purify. And what we permit and uphold in our corporate worship will testify to what we think of our great God. So let us not presume on God's grace such that we take it lightly. Rather, let us depend on His grace entirely, believing His great promises and His power to fulfill them. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, Your word can be hard to bear. As we read it from afar, exposing the hearts of Your people from centuries ago, it is with a sudden shock that we realize that Your Spirit is exposing the habits and sins of our hearts now. Keep us, Lord, from taking you lightly. Do not let us presume on your kindness. Grow us in unity in the knowledge of Christ so that our church is faithful to your scriptures. Grant that our witness to the world would declare all the good you have done and the love you have shown, especially in the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. We ask all these things for his sake. Amen.